The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast. So, it's not a live broadcast, so please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political officer, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening, we will be discussing, is furlough shaming justified? Who is the greatest African-American pop artist of all time? And lastly, would you ever want to move permanently abroad? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardbrain.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, well, actually uh, two weeks ago, we asked you guys to send in your opinions on the question, what can Keir Starmer do for Labour to win the next general election? 
And as always, we've had some really, really fascinating and enlightening uh, responses through. Uh, so the first one came in from Ellis. Ellis said, to win the next general election, Keir Starmer just needs to keep doing what he's doing, speaking common sense. I wasn't a fan of Jeremy Corbyn. I thought he was such a weak leader. But Keir Starmer speaks clearly, he speaks confidently, and he hasn't said anything since becoming Labour leader that I think a reasonable person could disagree with. Boris Johnson is a mess compared to Keir Starmer. And when Parliament resumes to normality, that will be shown even further because the two of them going head to head will show people what a leader Keir Starmer is. You can actually imagine him as Prime Minister, which is such an important thing. Even with Corbyn, most people couldn't imagine him inside number 10. Keir could have this in the bag. George, I mean, as a Conservative, are you worried because of how truthful Ellis is there? <laughs> um, well, Ellis definitely speaks with a lot of optimism there. And it's, I suppose it's nice to see, to, to finally see uh, people actually think that Labour do have a chance in a general election now. Um, I do actually roughly agree with what Ellis is saying um Jeremy Corbyn was a complete contrast of of what Kia is um as the leader of the Labour Party and it is very interesting especially to see Boris and Kia head-to-head um at PMQs that we have seen um Kia goes around the way of an argument very differently to Jeremy used the way Jeremy used to um and especially as well because because he is um a lawyer barrister he has got some very good ways of speaking to an argument and and i suppose you could argue maybe even to an audience um and because of that those skills are definitely coming through and possibly we are seeing johnson being put on the spot more than he was under um against jeremy corbyn and it's it's definitely i suppose you could argue seeing showing boris's weak weakness of not being able to perform straight on the spot and showing that you can't just babble uh, an incident away and, and just go on about something else that no one can actually understand. Um, but I do think that it will take a lot more work than just Keir Starmer for them to win the next general election. Um, I do think that it's there is definitely that he will make very big strides. But for me, as much as he is a very, very good leader, and for me, has done a lot more in however long he's been leader for than Jeremy Corbyn did in the last seven or eight years he was leader. Um, I I think that his biggest kink in his armour is is Brexit. And I think that will possibly come back around. But who knows with the way the world is going? Who really, really knows? Um, but what do you think, Callum? I, maybe actually I'll ask you this in a different kind of way. As a maybe someone that doesn't have a political home, are you starting to warm up to the idea of going home to Keir Starmer? That sounds <laughs> weird. We'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, in in a sense, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely would be far more likely to vote Labour. Than, than what I was when under Corbyn. I think that they, they speak much more sensibly. I think that, in a sense, uh, a vote for Labour last time, in my opinion, was a bit of a wasted vote because it was a clear that they weren't going to win a general election. Whereas I think it's much more, OK, we're, we're talking four years away, probably. 
Um, but it, it's much more likely that uh, Labour would win a general election, and therefore you're much more inclined, even if you're not really a kind of card-carrying Labour uh, member or anything like that, or really a, a, a real kind of conscious Labour voter, I'm still more inclined then to just vote Labour because it means that, that they're far more likely to win that general election and, and get in, and, and I see them as kind of a lesser of two evils. So I suppose Keir Starmer's done really well um, in that way. I mean, George, just looking at, at the kind of the substance of what Ellis has said here, um, he, he talks about the fact that um, he doesn't think that since um, Keir Starmer's become Labour leader, he said anything that a reasonable person could disagree with. Uh, I mean, obviously, you're more likely to disagree with anything Keir Starmer says than what I am. So is there any level in which you disagree with that? Um, I, I, I mean, I couldn't be specific on the certain things that he has said, um, but I am sure that if I did go over things that he has said, I would definitely find areas that I completely disagree with him on. Um, and I'm sure there are many like that. But at the same time, Kia is in a very good position because he is now trying to gather the more centrist votes that Corbyn lost. And because of that, he's I think the way he's talking is actually to a more centrist audience. And because of that as well, it means a lot more people are agreeing with him. I mean, I do not shy away from the fact that I am centre to right in the politics spectrum. But um and I'm sure there are many things of what he has been saying that I have agreed with. And I will, again, I will hold my hands up, especially over the coronavirus situation. When I've been watching PMQs, I find it worrying at the fact that I am more nodding to the things that Kia is saying than to the things that Boris is saying. Hmm. Very interesting. Indeed, it is worrying for me. Um, right, let's, let's move on, uh, to our next message from Jade. And she says, the key thing Labour needs to do to win the next general election is to win back Scottish seats from the Conservatives. I think some of that will be done by just the fact that Corbyn isn't the leader anymore, but Keir Starmer could win back those seats by giving them hope of a Scot second Scottish independence referendum. I wouldn't support that. I'm in support of unity and they've had their referendum already. And I think Starmer would lose some support in the, in the rest of the UK. But Scotland plus just have been reasonable policies could win him the seats he needs. Well, Callum, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, Jade is very, very right to say that Labour probably needs to win back Scottish seats um, from not just Conservatives, but also from um, the SNP as well. Um, and I think in terms of winning back seats from the SNP, um, giving a pitch or, or at least mild support to the idea of a second Scottish independence referendum could pay dividends in that regard. I actually think to win over the kind of voters that Jade's specifically talking about, Scottish seats from the Conservatives, I'm not entirely sure that backing a Scottish independence referendum is actually the way to go about that. Um, arguably showing off their unionist credentials um, by not backing the second referendum is, is a stronger way of doing that. Um, but then it's very difficult because you could also make the case, although I'm not entirely sure how the, the marginals kind of sit up, the, the Scottish Conservative seats, I mean. Um, but you could make the case that if they were to back second second independence referendum, 
then they could maybe take the SNP voters um, in, in these, these seats that the Conservatives hold and therefore they could they could take them from the Conservatives by combining almost the two votes um, around that. But, but as I say, I, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't know how what kind of marginals they are. I suspect they're probably more likely Conservative SNP marginals mm. than they are Conservative Labour ones. Um, mm. George, what do you make of that? I think it's definitely a very interesting point that Jade raises. And I, again, uh, along with you, Callum, I do 100% agree that for Labour to win the next general election, they need to win a significant amount of seats in um, Scotland. And But I would say that it's not Conservative seats that Labour need to target. It is the Labour, I'm sorry, the SNP seats. I mean, Conservative seats in Scotland at the moment, I think there's about, we have about three or four. There isn't a lot, whereas obviously the SNP have around 56, if not more. Um, and SNP are the people that have taken the seats away from Labour, the Conservative seats that that we've won were um, either SNP or have always practically been uh, Conservative. I I, I think that Labour in Scotland would find it very hard to win those seats off Conservative. Um, It would either go to the SNP, but Labour have really got to try and find a a way forward of, of making sure that they can translate the language of unity and show that Labour is a is a left sided party that wants the best for Scotland. And that is it's a very hard thing to do. I mean, the SNP are, have always been in a very, um, I suppose, luxurious position in, in the fact that they are only a party that stands in Scotland and anything that goes wrong, they can just blame on um, the actual national government, um, mostly always the Tories or actually sometimes they like to blame Labour as well. But I, I, I definitely do think that we ha- they have to see that that kind of transformation from yellow to red in Scotland for them to stand a chance. Now, in 2017, when um, Theresa May called the general election, we would or the Conservatives back then would not have had the, the uh, be the largest party if it wasn't for the votes in Scotland. So for somehow, a lot of Scottish people voted Tory, um, and it was it was a rather a surprise. And and somehow, those kind of votes, where those people that aren't particularly sure which way they would ordinarily vote, that's where Kia has to be very quick to react to ensure that they can, he can gain those votes. And again. I do believe there are quite a lot of centralists in Scotland, um, and that's where I think Kia can make significant ground up. I, I really, really do. Um, right. I, I, it's your. I was about to read your opinion there, Callum, but it's your opinion. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We'll just quickly, yeah, squeeze in this this opinion from Comrade. Comrade says the next general election is up in the air, in my opinion. Anyway, because if it is in 2024 like it is due to be, i.e. it doesn't happen before, Brexit would be done by then. So a lot of the Conservative votes that Boris got to just get Brexit done will be lost votes. I think policies like investment in public services will be popular, especially after COVID-19, where everybody sees how important public services are and abolishing tuition fees will be popular too. But I think it will come down to his tax policy, which I'm not clear on. I mean, obviously, the tax policy is one thing, but in terms of abolishing tuition fees, I think it's a good point in that a lot of people would have um, been d- doing online lessons, but paying full tuition fees. So do you think, George, that because of COVID-19, we could see a rise in support for free tuition fees, as it were, just very briefly? 
Well, I, I I think there's always the argument that there would be support for free tuition fees anyway. I mean, when Jeremy Corbyn suggested it and then decided not to go for it anyway, um, I think he did it to buy votes. And if Keir is going to go down that road, it's got to be very clear how it's going to be paid for, because I stand by the argument of why should everyone pay for anybody else's education you know why should a bricklayer pay for someone's education when they've chosen not to go to university and chose to have a vocational career i personally don't find that fair um and also tuition fees have helped more people more lower class people into higher education than ever before so that's my standpoint on tuition fees what do you think adam yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, my standpoint's relatively similar to yours, but I do think that we could see more of an uproar, certainly in terms of the level of what tuition fees are now. If people are doing online lessons a lot, it seems a bit ridiculous that they're going to be paying the full uh, over 9000 a year like it is now. Right then, uh, remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. We've reached time for the first sunbreak this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, is furlough shaming justified? So furlough, that word that no one had ever actually really heard before the pandemic came about. Furlough got brought in by the government to ensure that those who were in a job that couldn't work to the full capacity could still be paid 80% of their wage so that they could still more or less carry on having payment coming into their account and making sure that they could survive the pandemic and ensuring that there was actually a level of normality with what was going on. It was something that the government solely paid for, so businesses would have to apply for it. And then from that, the government would pay into their bank accounts to ensure that their employees would then still be able to be paid 80% of their wage. Some companies did pay um, the 20% on top of that, or um, have have or encouraged those um, to work from home. But unfortunately, as ever it may seem, um, there have been some shaming going about. We have seen that those that have had to be put onto furlough um, have been called everything from being very lazy to not helping out during the pandemic to not going to volunteer. And there have been so many different accusations going on to those that have fur- have been put onto furlough um, simply during this pandemic. And as well, this got brought in to ensure that people could keep their jobs, which I think is one of the most important things as well. But is it justified to to actually shame these people that are on furlough, that aren't working and are still being paid for the job that they should be doing? Callum, what do you think? I think it's one of those rare topics where um, there's there's to me anyway, there's clearly a right answer, which is, of course, no. Uh, fellow shaming isn't isn't justified as such. I, I mean, the the act of possibly um, suggesting that sometimes people who are on furlough are either abusing the system or um, maybe not making the most of the fact that they're effectively having 
kind of paid time off work. There, there is an argument to be made there. But the broad concept of just shaming people for the fact they're on furlough is frankly ridiculous. Um, and, and one of the things that prompted us selecting this topic was that I saw a, a meme on Instagram or Facebook or something like that, um, which was effectively suggesting that um, uh, it, it said that those that were the key workers were now like zombies. It had them as pictures of zombies. Um, and then the the others, the, those that are furloughed, were sitting there kind of sunning themselves up um, on their deck chairs. And, and I don't think that's the reality of what a lot of people are doing on furlough. I mean, a lot of people, for, exa- for example, are learning new skills and they're, they're trying to better themselves. And a lot of people on furlough want to get back to work. They're desperate to get back to work. And Sometimes I think the the key workers forget about the fact that a lot of the people who are sitting there on furlough now, when you know lockdown is beginning to ease, are very very worried about their jobs because there's going to be a hell of a lot of job losses, unfortunately. Um, and I don't think there's an appreciation of the kind of psychological impact that is having to people that are sat there on furlough right now. Um, and so I don't think it's justified to, to be shaming these people for something which is, let's be frank, out of their control in most circumstances as well. Um, so so I, I don't think it's justified. What about you, George? Yeah, I, I, I actually find it quite upsetting, the fact that we are even going down to the level of, of shaming those that are on furlough. Because as you say in your last point there, Callum, it is completely out of their control. They haven't chosen to go on to furlough themselves. It is their business that has decided to do that, or even the government that has put them into that furlough situation. I mean, those that are are maybe taking the mick out of people that are on furlough, essentially, you know, these people had to be put on furlough, firstly, to keep them in a job and secondly, to ensure they didn't go to work and to keep spreading the disease um, that that is coronavirus. If these people would were kept at work, God knows how much worse this would have got. Um, and it, it would have been horrendous if, if everyone was still working 24 um, and, seven. And I think that we should actually be thankful that these people were put on furlough and also that the furlough exists because it has allowed people to ensure that they've still got an income. They can still feed their family. Um, and in actual fact, I know of some people um, that have been able to save some money. And as much as people say, oh, well, they've, they've been able to save money whilst not working and everything. So how have they earned that money? Just think that the money that they've been able to save once everything's up and running, running, I can guarantee you that that money will be sent straight back into our economy, which is so badly what we need. Um, and it, it's, it's securing our economy as well. It's trying to ensure that people keep their jobs. So our economy is is it can keep running because after this pandemic is over, we are going to be facing a very dire need in terms of debt and everything like that as a country. And it will be up to the working man and woman to ensure that we are investing in our economy by going to the shops, by holidaying local and everything like that. Um, so I just don't understand the, the arguments that are in place in shaming those that are on furlough. Um, I, I think that, A lot of people that have been put on furlough, actually, yes, all right, there have been pictures of people having a relaxing time and stuff. But the majority of them 
have actually been rather worried or even felt guilty that they are in that situation, that they are having to, to not work and that they, they can't tremendously help out. But as well, there is a lot of them. Um, and I know in 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 my constituency, there has been so many people that were put on furloughed that have signed up to volunteering systems to ensure that those that um, aren't in a, a, an advantage position of going out to the shops and everything can still be helped. And if it wasn't for the furlough scheme, people wouldn't have been able to afford to do that. People wouldn't have had the time to go out and do that. So in actual fact, yes, it has been very important that we recognise our key workers throughout this period, but also those furloughed people that have decided to go and volunteer and help out to ensure that those that are most vulnerable can still get basic needs like like go to the shops and, and get pharmaceuticals and things like that. I think that is so important. Um, and do you think, Callum, that there, as much as, and I'm not trying to take away the, the recognition of our fantastic key workers, but do you think maybe as well we should change the language of furlough shaming to ensure that those that actually took the time to go and volunteer should be recognised as well? Yeah, yeah, I think we we yeah we definitely should find um, room to kind of um, thank those kind of people. I mean, because obviously, yeah, they're they're not um, really under current definitions. They're not key workers, but as you say, I think a lot of the work that they have been doing has been key. And, and I think also on a on a broader point, um, aside from the volunteers' point. Let's just imagine that the furlough scheme didn't exist or, or the people that quite were eligible for it didn't go on to furlough and they went into work still. Imagine how much more PPE we need um, to, to be able to protect these people as well and how much harder would social distancing be for everyone. Um, so, so I think a, a, a fact that's been lost because of how long it's been since furlough started sort of thing but a fact that's been lost is that without the furlough scheme and without people being willing to kind of obey the rules in which it has been set we wouldn't have been able to protect the key workers in the first place um, and, and that that's fundamentally why furlough shaming um, is wrong but just one kind of last um, question for you George which is obviously a, it's a topic very close to my heart universal basic income um, which is effectively the theory of giving every person over a certain age, probably 21, maybe 25, uh, a certain minimum income a month. Um, and, and do you think that the success, as it were, of the furlough scheme has actually made the case for a universal basic income? Firstly, because of the fact that it would mean that we wouldn't have had to introduce the furlough scheme in the first place. Um, and secondly... Um, imagine the ability people would have if they knew they had a secure income coming in as well to be able to upskill to, to maybe um, uh, not have to take that extra shift so that then they can look, spend more time with their family. I mean, do you think there's been that there's been a case made because of furlough for universal basic income? No, not at all. Um, I, I, I think that it's been a very nice thing whilst the pandemic has happened, but the damage that it has done to our economy um, and the amount of money that it's had to come out uh, has been absolutely incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, and I don't think just, that the 
just ar arguably, obviously, universal basic income wouldn't be in a time in which the economy's ground to a halt. Obviously, these are very different times. But there are still ways that you have to pay for it. And even if the economy hadn't ground to a halt, um, I think you would still have to try and talk to, to businesses like the government is doing as it relaxes furlough um, to see whether the businesses can help supply in payments like that. Um, I, I, I always think that universal basic income is a lovely idea, but in practice, I think it just wouldn't work. I mean, the, yes, you could argue that maybe the voluntary sector would do very nicely from it and um, people would be able to spend time with their family. But then as well, there is the argument to say that it would cause people to be lazy because they wouldn't have to go and get a job because they, there is a basic income coming in. Um, and I think in terms of that, that would stab our economy like anything. So ultimately, no, I don't think it has given any more of an argument for it to be a success as much as you would disagree with me, Callum. I do, vehemently. Um, how do you think this poll is going to go? Uh, I think most people will say no. Uh, further shaming is not justified. What about you? Yeah. I would like to think so as well. So I'm going to say about 80%. Um, but there is only one way to find out, and that is for you guys to vote on this poll. Uh, is furlough shaming justified? And you can do that at wizardbrain.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, is furlough shaming justified? Um, and to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking the question, who is the greatest African-American pop artist of all time? So with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement coming massively into the headlines, as I'm sure everyone would have noticed, it has raised a really important conversation about what we can do to better promote black voices. And we, we've had a, a thought, um, um, me and George, about how we can do that and how we can use the platform of To Be Discussed to try and promote more black voices. And we thought one of the best ways to do it is very much in keeping with what we do anyway, is to talk about it in terms of music and, and our, our love of music and celebrate some of the best black performers of all time, and in this case, African-American performers. Um, so therefore, out of the following, who do you listeners think is the greatest African-American pop artist of all time? Is it Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Prince, or other? George, what do you think? Well, as as you said, Callum, it's, it's, I think it's great importance that we uh, use our platform that we have to really recognise some of the the greatest um, musicians out there, and, and especially the African American musicians that have been incredibly important in raising awareness and and everything that goes with that. Um, and these are just a few of I think some of the fantastic artists that are out there. But but for me, out, out of that whole list, someone that I listen to, she is on um, my playlist um, and she has a genre of music that I absolutely love, which is very bluesy jazz. Um, and that is Aretha Franklin. I don't think there is a more iconic lady that has such a an amazing voice that goes with that jazzy tone. 
of Aretha Franklin. I mean, it is it is pure velvet. Her voice. It, it is incredible. Her voice. Um, and the 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 songs that she's produced over the years. I mean, a lot of artists have copied her songs and, and tried to make it into their own. I mean, my ultimate favourite of hers is um, "Feeling Good." which obviously then uh, Michael Bublé then took on board as well and, and made his own single from. But it's, for me, I think the way that she, she's she been so influential as well in, in, in many things in ensuring that awareness is raised around black rights as well um, is, is incredibly important. And, and she was part of that era that, that did see a lot of discrimination against black people. And um, she still was able to make a very successful and meaningful career excuse me out of her music and out of her voice um and it's a voice that will forever i believe go down in history and something that will always be remembered as well um other than aretha i think definitely i would have to look at either prince or or michael jackson um i think michael has did have a fantastic career um and and the voice that he had was incredibly talented um and that the music he produced as well i mean obviously he got the name of king of pop um and it was he was unique i think in the style that he went around things and it was very very amazing to see what he did with his voice and 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 also his dancing as well i think that's definitely something that he will be remembered for and then ultimately prince prince has got it's just incredibly it's so hard because all these people are so so talented um and have such unique voices um but yeah no prince as well again um, someone that did a lot for raising awareness around um, black rights and the awareness and, and, and message around that as well. Um, and his music portrayed a lot of that um, in the songs that he wrote. And I think that is so important, especially in, in today and what we have been seeing going on recently. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely those would be my top three. What about you, Callum? I'm very surprised, um, Aretha Franklin. You you said her. I I I didn't um, realize you were a fan. I mean, obviously, I I would know a few of her songs, but I will be frank and say that it's not someone I've ever listened to much. Would you Um, be Franklin? Sorry. uh, Yeah, don't. Uh, (laughs) um, In terms of for me, um, the the greatest African American pop artist all the time. I, I think it's it's the king of pop himself, Michael Jackson. I mean, I think when you consider what um iconic album Thriller is, um you you have to on that basis say um Michael Jackson. I, I mean uh, I I was very fortunate enough to go and see um Thriller Live um on on the um London West End I believe it was. Um, and although, to be honest with you, the actual show, I didn't enjoy a, um, a massive amount. You couldn't help but enjoy the, the, the songs, as it were. And, and I think that's testament to just how um, iconic Michael Jackson is in terms of his music. Um, Prince, again, is someone I, I'm going to be frank and say that I haven't listened to a whole lot either. Um, it's, it is someone I've been meaning to, to listen to a lot more because I, I know that he's very renowned by a lot of people who, who are, I respect a great deal. I mean, I know, um, George that, that Theo is, is a massive fan of, of Prince, um, and, and would be quite, uh, astonished to hear me say that I've not really listened, um, to Prince. I mean, obviously Whitney Houston, I 
has a has an amazing voice as well. We we, we have to um, talk about Whitney Houston, really. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, George, I thought. I thought you would probably say Michael Jackson top, but I thought Whitney Houston would feature a bit higher up on your list. I mean, are you a fan of Whitney Houston? It seems like the kind of person you would be. Oh, yeah. No, I, I absolutely am. Yeah. And, and there's no denying that whatsoever. But I I just do feel as if that uh, for me, a lot of as much as I do love her songs, they're not so much songs that I would listen to a daily on a daily basis where um, with Aretha uh, Prince and, and Michael, I, I, I do, they are all in my playlist and I do listen to them, but I, I just don't have her um, music in my playlist. And that's why I chose to more highlight those artists instead of Whitney. But I mean, Whitney is incredible. I mean, the, the notes and everything that she can hit are outstanding, to be honest. I mean, I think, Whitney as well. I don't know about you, Callum, but for me, she has a lot of those kind of party central, you know, music that goes on. And when you're a little bit uh, you're out on the dance floor and stuff, her songs are the ones that would always get you out dancing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think um, probably arguably the most other than maybe Marvin Gaye. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about wanting to dance, I think Marvin Gaye's a obviously a, a massive artist that's gonna um, make you want to do that and actually one of my my other George if I, if I was to say another and it is someone I really wanted to include on our kind of main list as it were but I, um, I I'm aware of the fact that, that they're not particularly well known I mean I, I I hadn't I'd heard of them but not really listened to their music for um, yeah, until about a, a few months ago really but is the person is Little Richard. Uh, I think Little Richard's music is is absolutely sensational. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that Elvis actually called him the original ki- king of rock and roll. Um, and, and I think people forget um, with Little Richard how um, much of an influence he had on a lot of the really big named artists later on. So, so the Beatles and Elvis are examples where they actually went on to cover um, some of Little Richard's songs and, and make them into um, almost more iconic songs than, than what when he originally um, released them or at least more well-renowned. And I think that just shows the real influence of him. Um, I, I mean, wh- what do you think in terms of the other? Who, who would you you think should should maybe arguably on the, be on this list too? Yeah, I was I was really rattling my brains regarding that because I think that there are so many iconic um artists out there but i one that kept coming back for me was um beyonce um i think beyonce is is incredibly talented and i i know she's obviously a lot more modern day than the artists that we've got listed but still i think she's done so much in uh, work for i think everything she does she always just is so i don't know outstanding in everything that she does and and for me the songs and and her career as an artist has been absolutely amazing so i would definitely definitely put beyonce in there would you roughly agree with that yeah i think i mean obviously yeah beyonce is a, a massively um iconic singer and, and probably to, to our our listeners a lot more um well renowned to our generation in, in general um, a lot, a lot well better known. Another person I would say 
uh, is obviously Stevie Wonder. I think is is a is a great um, artist and Ray Charles as well. I mean, I I don't know if you've um you've seen it, but I recently during lockdown I've watched um Ray, which is a, a biopic about Ray Charles, and um that's really interesting. And you realise how many um iconic songs that he had, and he was blind as well. So I think that's pretty um damn amazing to be honest with you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, so who do you think is going to come out on top here, George? Oh, do you know what? I'm going to put a stab in the dark here, and I'm going to say other. Other, okay. Mm. okay. And you think that's you? because of Beyonce? I think that's just because there is so much talent out there. I think that possibly because of our um, listeners, I think they would go for a more modern artist than what we've put down. Hmm, yeah, interesting, because I, I mean, I obviously forget about the fact that obviously we grew up when Michael Jackson was still alive and still releasing records, mm-hmm. but Michael Jackson hasn't been releasing records for quite a while now, so probably a lot of our listeners won't have been growing up with that. But I, but I will still say Michael Jackson, I think, followed probably by Prince and then Arthur. Maybe Whitney actually might come in there, but we won't break it down too much. <laughs> um, right then, time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So remember that question is, who is the greatest African-American pop artist of all time? And the options are Marvin Gaye, Aretha Franklin, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, Prince or other. And you can vote for that at wizardradio.co.uk. Force us to listen and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So, Pod wrote for us, who is the greatest African-American pop artist of all time? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page, that's at Wiz Radio. Okay, let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. We're asking, would you ever want to move permanently abroad? So we... As we all know, there are some fantastic countries out there, everything from France to South America to Africa. And yes, I know some of the places I just named there are continents and not countries. Um, but even still, they are incredibly <laughs> beautiful. And as much as they are amazing to go on holiday in and experience for maybe two weeks or even a month at a time, some people choose to go and travel out there and spend two to three years out there. Do you think there is enough of a pull out there for you to go and live do you think that possibly you could move away and not miss your family too much not miss your friends too much and even start a new life out there who knows callum have you ever had any thoughts about moving permanently abroad i'm keeping my fingers crossed that the answer is yes <laughs> wow charming uh, sorry no, i i have that to, to be fair it is something i'd i'd be interested in doing i mean i definitely when I'm older, I've always planned to go and retire in, in Spain or Portugal or Greece somewhere, hot somewhere Mediterranean. Um, so, so I guess that would be a, a kind of a permanent thing. Um, I also would consider kind of semi-permanently moving abroad for, for work and, and things like that. I mean, obviously, with being a kind of aspiring journalist, um, it's kind of part of the job that you'd expect you might well, um, if you become a, a successful journalist, have to, to go all over the world, really. I mean, that wouldn't really be a permanent thing in those in that sense. But obviously, if you become a permanent correspondent in 
I don't know, in Paris, say, as, as you say, George, then um, that would be kind of kind of permanent. So definitely it's something that interests me. I mean, learning about new cultures and, and just experiencing a different way of life is something that really, really um, interests me. What, what about you, George? Well, I, I'm more of a kind of a home bird and, and I, I don't think I ever could really move abroad. Um, I, I love this country too much. Um, and I, and I just don't see myself actually really being able to, to move abroad and, and not miss everyone that lives here. Um, I'd, I'd miss everyone too much for me to be able to actually be happy abroad, I think. Um, and as well, I, I think that, I my job prospects are very much centered around this country. Um, I can't really go and be an MP in another country for um, the United Kingdom. Um, it doesn't really work like that, unfortunately. But as well, I mean, I my ambitions of when I retire is I, I want to go and retire in um, the north of Wales. So, I mean, I suppose you could argue that that's maybe moving abroad slightly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might even be an independent country by then, George. Right, Callum, let's not talk like that, please. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, George, I don't mean to upset you there. Um, I mean, obviously you say you wouldn't want to move abroad, but um, what about if it was like a very kind of Anglo-centric place that was abroad? So uh, I'm, I'm thinking uh, I went over last summer, I went to, to Malta um, mm. and I stayed with my godfather who, who's, who's English. Um, there and you go there and a lot of it is really really English I mean um, you you go and you walk past the street and there's there's Irish pubs um, you go to the um, the cafes and they're serving um, a full English and it's basically other than the sausage is slightly different than what you might get here but other than that it's pretty much the same even smoked bacon and I'm I absolutely love smoked bacon um, <laughs> I've kind of lost track of my my question, but George, could you not see yourself moving abroad to some somewhere like that, where it's it's almost like a, a mini England? I I suppose so, but uh, I mean, I, I you could argue that as well for the um, southern side of Tenerife. That a lot of that is is very very kind of Anglo-Saxon now, and and I and I think it's definitely um, yeah. I, I, for me, if I'm honest, if I could live in that world, I would have a kind of a summer home down in Tenerife or or so I could go there over the winter months or something and then live the rest of the time in this country. But I would have to get a job that, that pays a lot more money than I'm on at the moment. So um, I, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. But that's as far as I would go to moving permanently abroad to a country like that. Is that would you ever seek to get a nice little summer home somewhere and just go and relax out there uh see yes instinctively i say yes and this is going to sound really goody two shoes of me sort of thing but i always morally struggle with the idea of getting a second home just because i know that it pushes the prices up for people that want to get first homes um if you if you kind of have a second home somewhere else mm. it's, it's going to naturally especially if you're from a place that generally makes more money and where property's worth more it's going to end up pushing the prices up for, for everyone else so if i'm being really morally good i'll say no i wouldn't get a second home purely for that i would just li literally rent for the period in which i want to go and stay out there 
And, and I suppose the benefit of that is that obviously then I can go to loads of different places. I could go Cyprus one year, I could go Tenerife, I could go Gran Canaria, you know. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. Um, so, but I probably I, would get a second hand, let's say. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I mean, Callum, when you're a, a successful journalist that's earning lots of money and you buy a second home abroad, I will be reminding you of that fact, saying that you uh, shouldn't be doing this because it's, it's pushing up everyone else's house prices. Yeah, I know, um, terrible. And I'm going to create a sign outside your house, your second home, saying I'm the reason that's put your house prices up. <laughs> um, and how do you think this poll's going to go? I think most people will want to uh, move permanently, permanently abroad. I'll say... Um, Seventy percent. What about you? I'm going to say sixty percent for this, and there is always only one way to find out, and that's for you guys to vote on this poll. Would you ever want to move permanently abroad? And you can do that wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen, and we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked, would you ever want to move permanently abroad? And for the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. So, well, I know. I know, guys, calm down. It has come to that time where Callum and I do have to say goodbye. Um, as ever, this hour has flown by. But thanks so much, everybody, for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Go. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question, what invention do you want to see happen in the next 10 years? You can send in those opinions by email to stationowizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at WizRadio. So remember that question is, what invention do you want to see happen in the next 10 years? And we're really looking forward to hearing those wacky inventions next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Hamburger. And I've been George Guffin. Before we go, I just quickly want to say a very, very happy birthday to Mr. Gurr himself. It was his birthday um, this week. And if you guys would like to, please go to his, his Twitter page, which is at Callum Gurr, and wish him a very happy birthday. He is now the grand age of 52. Um, <laughs> so he, he is getting on a bit. But very kind, George. Thank you. It's, it's my pleasure to Callum. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. (laughs) 